welcome to the Practical Research Parenting Podcast. Here's your host, Nicole Weeks. Hello, welcome back. This episode, Dr. Cole Whittingham and I look at the possum sleep intervention in more depth, particularly the goals of the intervention and how to access it. The paper I read initially was focused on zero to six month old children. Um, yeah. So is the possum sleep intervention limited to that age range? Uh, not at the moment, no. So, mm. so the the in terms of the, what we've published um, in in the scientific literature, that's mm. that's that's what we've published. So, yeah. so um, so initially we developed an intervention for um, yeah birth to six months of age, but we have since um, extended the the sleep intervention mm. and we've developed adaptations for beyond six months. Right. And the the Beyond Six Months program actually covers from six months throughout the preschool years. Oh, wonderful! And um, yeah, so that that, that um, it is available um, mm. in the Possums Clinic. Um, but unlike the the birth to six month version, we don't have the you know the sleep film or the the scientific publications for that one. Yeah, yet. So that's just that's in the the earlier phase. But everything that's in the pretty much the birth to six months version mm. um, is applicable beyond six months. So all of that remains true. Mm. It's more just that we add, we've added some extra um, thoughts and ideas around because beyond six months, you know, throughout the preschool years, mm. it may then be the case that the parents are, are going to, as, as we, we term it, teach the child something new. Yeah, to the child a new way of falling asleep, for example. Mm. Um, yeah, so then we have some uh, some thoughts and ideas around around that. Okay, I, wonderful. I, so, sort of unlike the um, normalization approach, you're mm. no, you're not saying you know lying by your child's mm. cot for an hour a night is if that's what's working, then you just have to keep doing it. You are actually you're providing alternatives or. Um, yes, so um, I would say that the first step would still be, like beyond six months, mm. the first step would still be understanding the bi- biology of sleep mm. and trying to optimise your lifestyle with your child so that that, so that, that is optimised and so mm. that that healthy biological regulation of sleep can happen. Mm. Um, so if baby is waking at night and laying awake at night and taking a very long time to fall asleep at night, mm. you know, the first step is to look at, um, you know, is baby having or, or your child having are their, their daytime naps too lengthy mm. or, um, you know, are their daytime naps, you know, in a separate room that's darkened and so is promoting them to sort of get extra sleep that they perhaps mm. wouldn't be having at that particular point in time. And so, you know, the, the best way to make sure that daytime naps don't get out of control, incidentally, is simply not to put bub away in a, in a sort of separate room that's darkened and, and keep everything really quiet is to keep daytime naps happening in the normal, usual daytime environment with normal sunlight, with normal kind of daytime noises so that then baby's going to get the sleep that they need right then and there but is also going to wake up um, as soon as that, you know, is possible and realistic. They're not going to kind of oversleep. Okay, yeah, right. That's very interesting. Um, so, I mean, just trying to think of doing this in practice with my two kids, mm. I'd imagine 
If I let Xander be in the same room, he'd be playing with some pretty noisy toys and he'd wake Beth up sure. very quickly. Sure. I, I, I think not closing the blackout curtains might be a good step. Sure. To what extent, I guess, I'm asking, would you yeah. keep the noise natural? Would it be, you know, cars passing and, yeah. um, you know, not, not tiptoeing around? Sure. The, to the extent, I suppose that it would be a, that's a bit of a judgment for for each particular parent. Yeah. Um. And yeah, like you say, having siblings does add add to it a little yeah. bit. Having older siblings because the kind of noises <laughs> that an adult would make in a house that are just sort of natural, normal background noise yeah. might be as loud as a you know a three year old or a four year old. So if you have an, an older sibling, perhaps you steer them towards you know quieter play yeah. while 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 baby's asleep. Um, yeah, absolutely. So it's sort of it, that would be, I think, to the parents to the parents' judgment. Yeah. So I um, guess sort of yeah. yeah within the normal realms of. Daytime noise, not not kids playing drums. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Wonderful. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so most sleep interventions aim for independent settling and sleeping through the night, um, yeah. with varying definitions of what that means. Sleeping through the night, that is. Yeah. Um, the possible sleep interventions goals, I believe, are quite different. Um, so what are they? Sure. So. Um so the goals of the possum sleep intervention are simply to optimise the healthy sleep of both the parent and and the baby. Yeah. So um, to allow that biology of sleep to, mm. to work in a, in a healthy way and also to support parental mental health at, at this point in time as yeah. well. Um, and I think... Um, so, in, so yes, the goals are are quite different. Mm, so, I guess in in practical terms, this would mean baby and mum waking up fairly refreshed and happy during the waking day. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I would also sort of just as a a kind of comment on this, mm. say. Um, that when you look at, I guess, the dominant paradigm, so the sleep interventions that are kind of out there that are aiming for independent settling and sleeping through the night, that very much is their sort of immediate goal. That's what they're trying to to achieve. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yours yeah. is the ultimate goal. The ultimate and goal, exactly. So, yeah. I, so I would sort of distinguish that as well. I don't think they don't have the same goal that no. we do. Because I agree. I They've they just do. defined it in different ways. But but they think they measure it in different ways. Yes, but there's there's an assumption that if you get baby to settle independently, mm. and if you get baby to sleep through the night earlier, then that is going to mean that um, the the parent is going to get a better night's sleep as well. Mm. Right. So yeah. there's an assumption that that's going to flow through. So. Um, the literature um, around uh, sleep, sleep for for parents and and, and bubs, so mm. isn't really consistent with that assumption. So um, if you look at the literature on um, sleeping and um, and feeding, and looking at feeding methods, so whether uh, a bub is uh, breastfed or formula fed, and how that plays out with sleep, you, you get you see some interesting things. So in fact, mothers who breastfeed have babies who wake more frequently, so breastfed infants wake more frequently. And yet mothers who breastfeed 
sleep for longer, Mm. have better quality of sleep, so report better quality of sleep, Mm. and report that they feel more well-rested during the day. Mm. Now, that's odd, isn't it? That's a little strange initially. Think, wait, wait, wait a second. How how does that? How does that work? How do mm. these mothers get woken up more frequently? But they end up not just feeling better and have and reporting better quality sleep, but they literally get more sleep. So mm. how does that work? And the way it works is if you take into account something called sleep efficiency. Mm. So sleep efficiency is the amount of time it takes you to fall asleep once you sort of lay down in bed and start trying to go to sleep. Mm. So um, that is also something that the possum's intervention is aiming to do is to optimise sleep efficiency for the parent and also also for the baby as well. Mm. So... Once you take into account sleep efficiency, you can see that this this assumption that, you know, reducing the number of times a baby wakes at night is going to improve parents' sleep is actually a little tenuous. It actually Mm -hmm. depends on certain other factors. So um, if mum is woken, say, three times a night, Mm -hmm. right, and that mum... has to wake up, give, give Bubby a feed, and that mum is feeling quite relaxed when she does that mm. and the bub falls back asleep very quickly after the feed mm. and once she's popped bub back in the cot, she can just, her head can hit the pillow and, bam, she's straight back off asleep within mm. five minutes versus another mum whose baby might only wake once a night but that baby might um, need to be comforted for an enormous amount longer Mm. and then that mum might feel very stressed by the fact that baby has woken and um, might trying to get baby back to sleep might involve her doing things that wake her up more and more so don't Mm. leave her feeling nice and relaxed and sleepy. And so by the time her head hits the pillow, she actually lies awake for half an hour. Mm. So... If you compare those two mums, the first one who's getting woken three times a night might actually end up with a better night's sleep. Yeah. Even though she's been woken three times. So it's not just about the amount of times you get woken up. Mm. It's also about how easily does baby settle back down to sleep. And then once you've popped baby back down, how easily do you settle back down to sleep? Because if the sleep efficiency is working really well for you, you can actually get woken several times a night without any problem. I mean, let's remember adults actually do wake from sleep several times a night. That is actually perfectly normal sleep behaviour. A lot of adults will wake and go and get a glass of water and go to the toilet and things like that. So if you're in that lovely rhythm, that just becomes the times that you that you happen to wake up and you can still end up with a full night, night of sleep by mm. the end of the night. Yeah, I do remember nights where I was lying awake mm. and wanting Beth to wake up so I could sure. feed her and feel that relaxation feel that, get yeah, from, from feeding, yeah. Absolutely. So breastfeeding mothers tend to have an advantage when it comes to that sleep efficiency mm. because, yeah, breastfeeding itself is a relaxing activity. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Another thing that I remember I noticed was when baby woke up, made a lot of difference. So if I got woken at 12, I remember that was a horrible time. Yeah. I didn't want to be awake at 12. Most other times of the night it was fine. 
Yeah. Um, so is that something that possum sleep intervention tries to address in terms of that efficiency? Like when I guess that's to do with your, my own circadian rhythm. Yeah. 12 well, o'clock I'm in deep sleep. Yes. And don't want to be woken. Yes. Yeah, so do you try to yes. somehow get those in sync? That is actually absolutely to do with the circadian rhythm. Mm. So, um, so do you know? Do you know why why that is? That how, how that works with the circadian rhythm? Not completely. It's, no, it's actually it's actually quite interesting. Mm. Um, up to relatively recent times, um, sort of modern times, um, there's actually great historical evidence that in in Europe in particular, mm. um, and and a lot of other other peoples as well, didn't actually sleep through the night in one in one consolidated burst. Right. That's actually a relatively modern phenomenon. Mm. Um, so people would actually take two sleeps in the night mm. and actually that's what our kind of circadian rhythm kind of does. So there's this, this the, there's an initial time where it's very easy to fall asleep mm. in, in the sort of evening. So depend, it depends where exactly your circadian rhythm sort of sits because yeah. in the modern world there's a few different ways, places where it might sit. Yeah. But you, you, it might be at about sort of 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock at night, mm. drift off and have a sleep then. And then, um, and then there's a time where it's easy to get into sort of a quiet wakefulness state. Mm. Um, and then it's very easy to slip off us to sleep again at sort of two in the morning type mm. thing and have another sleep before dawn and sort of in, into dawn. And in fact, in, in Europe, you know, several hundred years ago, before we um, had such a, a um, electric light everywhere mm. so that we could light up the evenings and stay yeah. out light late at night, um, what most people would do is they would have dinner they would they would have a sleep for you know three to four hours mm. and then they would wake up and they would have a, a few hours of quiet wakefulness mm. and that would be the time to to feed the baby couples would would chat and have sex and people who could read would read and you know that that was this lovely quiet wakefulness time is common time for prayer um and then um, as you got to sort of two in the morning type thing, people would have their second sleep of about four hours again. So people would end up with eight hours altogether. Yeah. So the, about, the, about, the amount of time we sleep in the modern times is probably about right, but we miss, we cut out that lovely quiet wakefulness time. Mm. And in sort of hunter-gatherer societies as well, um, they tend to, they don't actually solidly sleep the whole night through mm. they get about the same amount of sleep but they also have these periods of sort of of quiet wakefulness where they are awake during the night but it's quite a quiet relaxed state mm. where they might do you know meditate or prayer or couples would whisper to each other or you know those kinds of those kinds of activities mm. so that, that's actually the reason. That is during the night there is a midway point in sleep mm. where if you happen to be woken then, it's a really difficult time to go back to sleep. Mm. And if you just wait, you actually will be able to get, you know, the next wave of being able to fall asleep easily will come at yeah. about sort of 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the morning. It'll, you'll then find it really quite easy to go to sleep. Yeah. That's also why if you've ever had times where you've stayed up late, you know, sometimes yeah. you might stay 
stay up probably before you have you had children, mm-hmm. but um, you might sort of stay up a bit late and stay up till midnight and then try and go to sleep just then. Yeah. And sometimes when you've done that, it, you can't go to sleep. And it's not until more like two o'clock in the morning that you can fall asleep because that's that mid window there where you just it's re- it's really tricky to fall mm-hmm. to fall asleep. So yes, definitely. So if you've fallen into a consistent pattern there where your baby's waking up right in that time period where it's really tricky for you to fall back asleep um, because that's how the human circadian clock works Mm. then definitely try and bringing yourself and baby a little bit more into sync would be a great idea and there'd be different ways of doing it you know it depend on where where you and and bub were at and you'd have to sort of experiment flexibly to find what works Mm. but that could be you you going to bed earlier or later or getting up earlier or later you're manipulating your own sleep so it's no longer right in that midpoint Mm -hmm. um or it could be that you know getting bumped to go to to sleep a little bit later um might might fix it for you as well and then bub's first wake up might be you know a bit later when it's actually then you know it's one o'clock in the morning and so you're then in that second wave of finding it easy to fall asleep yeah right okay so and so the possum sleep intervention could work whether you're sharing a bed or sharing a room or in separate rooms? Um, yes, though we do say in the sleep interventions, being in separate rooms is not advisable mm. in terms of sits. Um, yeah, for zero to six months old? For zero to six months yeah. old. Yeah, that's right. And it's really important to understand why that's the case because I find um, the understanding of why that's the case is not often well communicated to parents because parents don't often fully grasp that. Mm. Um, So the reason why that's the case is it's really important that baby is within sensory distance of you. Mm. So as in it's important baby can hear and sense you. Okay. It's not about you sensing baby, yeah. which is where parents think it, it, it is the fact, no. That's right. They feel like they have to sort of stay awake all night vigilant no, listening or something. And yeah. that's not what it is. And they also think, oh, I can put baby in a separate room as long as I have a baby monitor. Mm. The baby monitor helps with you being able to be really lo- lovely and responsive to baby and get mm. quickly if they wake does not help with SIDS, does nothing for that mm. because that's all about baby being able to sense you. What? So if your baby <laughs> um, if your baby dies of SIDS, your baby will do so silently. You will not mm. wait. Mm. It will not, you know, it's a silent death. Yeah. So you being able to hear baby will not help one bit. Mm. What helps is if baby can hear you because um, – baby will hear your breathing, hear your noises, and that will help keep baby alert enough and regulate enough to keep breathing, to keep wow. to keep going. So baby will regulate her breathing to your breathing mm. and it actually helps baby to not fall so deeply asleep that, sh- that the baby slides into the state where they stop breathing basically because your sounds will will keep will keep baby continuing to breathe they'll hear you breathe and that'll cue them to breathe Mm. so that's where the effect is so it's it's and it's so it's very important to think of it in terms that it's sensory distance Mm. whether it's night time or daytime keep baby within sensory distance Mm. um, of yourself or of another another adult carer and that way and that way baby um 
Uh, that's how to reduce the risk of of um, of SIDS. Yeah. Right. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that's really interesting. I hadn't heard that before. Yeah, I think it's it's just not well communicated. That pe- that piece of why that advice is the case mm. is not well communicated to parents, and I think it's it's just such a shame because yeah. parents don't understand the mechanism of that. And they think that a baby monitor will solve it, or they, or they, because you, don't, if you don't understand why something works, it's it's very easy to just think, well, it's just arbitrary advice, yeah. you know. That yeah. there is a lot of arbitrary advice without yes. without a lot of evidence in this in this area, and yeah. to, to just think it's something that you can ignore. But that that is actually how how that works. Yeah, so right. The, the key is sensory is sensory distance. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So beyond that six months. Um, possum sleep intervention could work in separate rooms or the same room. Um, yes. So once once the the, the high risk period for for SIDS is over, mm. that's through. So particularly under six months is when it's a high risk period yeah. um, for SIDS. It extends a little bit beyond that. So there's a right. a bit of individual judgment as to where mm. you you want to draw the line, the, you know, the line in the sand and say mm. I'm happy that we're we've reached uh, a point of of, of safety. Yeah. Um, and that might depend on your individual infant as well. If you've got an infant who's born preterm or something like that, you probably want to be a bit more cautious. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, okay. Yeah, great. Um, so can you give us, yeah, some ideas of, I guess, some of the practical things that you might do in a possum sleep oh. intervention? Absolutely. So um, a, a big part of it is understanding that, that biology of sleep. And, mm. and getting your sort of your head around that, and then being able to flexibly experiment then with, with that, with helping your child's um, circadian clock and sleep homeostat to do their job. Mm. So looking at you know what kind of naps babies having and mm. keeping that in a daytime in a in a, a you know normal the daytime naps in a normal normal noise normal normal kind of lifestyle. Often it's about um, letting go of the focus on sleep mm. and actually, you know, going out with bub and, and actually having a good time yourself um, during the day and, and not particularly worrying about baby sleep during the day. Mm. And by doing that and by you're meeting baby's needs for um, sensation, because baby might um, be having trouble sleeping. You know, babies can get agitated from a lack of enough sensation, enough um, um, stimulation as well. So getting out and about with baby, you know, that's going to, to help and promote your mental health and it's also going to mean baby's daytime naps are not going to get out They're likely to be just what baby actually needs, which could be actually really short. They could be just cat naps of 20 yeah. minutes or so that's perfectly normal yeah right they could, or they could be a bit longer you know different babies are different they could be more like a, an hour but if if your baby's only having cat naps of 20 minutes that's quite that's quite normal so getting out and about and not having that emphasis on sleep but instead instead of focusing on sleep directly p- doing this the sleep promoting lifestyle mm. getting the circadian rhythm and the sleep homeostat to work um to work for you another big 
big practical thing would be to wake up at about the same time. So it doesn't have mm. to be exactly set in stone the same yep. time, but not varying it massively. So yeah. um, so getting up at, a, at around about the same time and getting baby up at around about the same time, that provides a very big cue to get the, to sync that circadian mm. clock so that it's in sync with real time and so that you're in sync with each other as well. Yeah. Um, and if if that's difficult for you, because I know sometimes I, I I'll slip into a, a phase where that's that's tricky to then start mm. to get into that habit because you might ha- end up having a habit of sleeping in at times. Mm. Um, and I'll just sort of say to that any of those sort of things like sleeping in that can interfere with your circadian clock we are not at all saying you should not do that Mm. you know it's a bad thing to do not at all if you sleep in on the weekends and it all works for you and you don't have a concern with your Mm. sleep or baby sleep go for it you know that's great but it's only if you know you and baby sometimes sleep in and you sometimes get up early and then you're having all these sleeping problems Mm. then that can be something you can change in order to help the sleeping problems if you're doing it you don't have the sleeping problems you know go for it enjoy it that's wonderful Um, so if you get if you fall into a habit of sleeping in and stuff the easiest way to, to get back to getting up at a set time Mm. is to set an alarm and then when the alarm goes off don't actually get out of bed just just crawl out open you know your curtains or Mm. or your blinds and let the sunlight stream in and then the first few days you can just crawl back into bed with the sunlight Mm. coming in and then after several days of that it'll then feel easy to to actually get up at that time and to mm. and to start to make daytime noises and then bubble wake up or you can just actually get get baby up and wake yeah. up and start the day so so the idea of having a more la- active life that's not sort of um yeah centered around the child nap times yes um wouldn't that mean that due to you know kids getting so stimulated by everything and not being able to sleep necessarily with everything going on, that they'd sleep at all different times during the day? Um, And would that be a problem with that sort of nap time not being regular? Um, Not necessarily really. So you can... I suppose what we're what we're kind of saying is you can trust the sleep if 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 you're not interfering with the operation of the circadian clock or the sleep mm. homeostat, you can actually trust that that the biology of sleep will do its job. Mm. So similar then to to, to hunger, if we would yeah. To, to draw a sort of, you know, a comparison. So so a breastfeeding mother has no, there's no need to, um, you know, count out the number of feeds your, your baby's having per day and to worry particularly mm. if on day one they have an extra feed and then on yeah. day two or, or that it's not happening exactly at, you know, three hourly intervals or mm. anything. You can actually trust the biology of it, that baby will take in the milk that she or he needs mm. um, and that, that appetite, that biology will actually regulate intake properly. Mm. Um, and it's a similar, similar with, with sleep. If we get the biology working right, mm. we can, then we can actually trust it 
to to a large extent. And then there's the the experimental, uh, flexible experimentation of the parents. So then there's day by day, you're noticing what's going on. You're you're, you're noticing patterns. And um, again, you can trust your own parental intuition, your own um, ability to read your child's your, your child's cues and you yourself will learn your child's cues with time. No one can tell you in advance exactly what, what they are. Mm. Um, but you can sort of trust your ability to get in, in, in sync with that. So you might notice that there are particular patterns. You might notice that your baby you know, tends to drop off for a sleep at two o'clock. Mm-hmm. And so you might take that into account to some extent in how you plan the day. You might, yeah. because just for your own sanity, you might yeah. want to want to be somewhere where you've got a book in hand or yeah, something right. when yeah. that happens. And that's, and of course that's, that's not a problem at all. But, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, you don't, you don't have to be, oh, it's two o'clock. Baby hasn't fallen asleep yet. I've got to now actively make sure baby does go to sleep. Mm. You, you can actually kind of just trust those, those, um, you know, what the, the cues that baby's telling you and the, the, the biology of sleep and, mm. and let baby cue for a cuddle or a feed when, when baby actually feels like it. Mm. Okay, wonderful. So it sounds very um, child-directed, I guess. Um, so to what extent do you build in ways that I guess the parent can also meet their own goals? I guess something I've, I'm thinking of is I did a lot of co-sleeping, baby-wearing and feeding to sleep um, yes. when my kids were young yeah. and found that the hardest part was the restriction of caregivers. So it was only me who could feed to sleep and mm-hmm. not everyone was willing to or able to carry the baby around for an hour or more. So it meant that mm-hmm. basically it had to be me. Mm-hmm. Um so how does possum sleep intervention sort of address those those issues that come mm. for the, the mm. mother or the caregiver? Sure. And I've heard that a, a few times as well, that, that mm. um, um, I guess, experience. Um, and what I would say is um, within the possum sleep intervention, we, we it's very much about that flexible ex- experimentation. Mm. So understanding these principles of the, the biology of sleep and how it works. Um, and also, you know, I'll just flag here, I wanted to sort of talk a little bit about how ACT plays into it too. Mm. Yeah, that would be good. But um, but understanding that as, as, as well and then um, being able to flexibly figure out, you know, how that works for you and for, for, for Bob. So often when if someone's in that situation, I mean, I think um, one of the big pieces of, of advice that, that, that I would say is that we can get stuck in thinking that everyone who cares for baby has to be doing the same thing. Mm. And and that's actually just 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 not the case at all. Yeah, um, it's, it's not the case at all. Um, so babies will learn um, that each of their caregivers are different mm. and and each caregiver can find different ways of of caring for for the baby. Mm. Um, and so it's really a common experience, for example, with breastfeeding mums yeah. um, that. Um, the baby um, will, if the baby's with mum mm. and baby would like to have a little sleep, baby's feeling sleepy, mm. uh, uh, the baby may ask mum uh, for a feed. Mm. And yet, um, 
and in fact, if the mum tries to get baby to go to sleep some other way, yeah. like um, you know, nursing baby or or um, singing to baby or rocking baby or whatever, the baby might um, make it very very clear that no, I want to feed. Thanks, mum. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, and yet, um, dad or or granny or um or grandpa might have lovely success in getting baby to fall asleep on a in a rocking chair or with a mm. or something. And often breastfeeding mums then sort of blame themselves for this and think, oh gosh, you know, I mustn't be, I'm not as good at parenting my baby as as all these other people mm. came from because they can all get baby to fall asleep, well, you know, using the rocking chair or something. And all I can do is get them to sleep with a feed. Yeah. But in fact, baby's not silly. Baby knows you've got the, the breast. Mm. <laughs> baby knows the other caregivers don't. You know, baby's not going to push daddy for a feed when baby knows that's not something daddy can give. Mm. But if you're, it's something you can give, baby will, will push you for it if that's baby's preferred way to, to get to sleep. Mm. So, a baby is quite capable of learning that 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 she or he can get different things from different caregivers. Mm. So, my advice would be for for the mums to, um, and for the primary caregivers, if that's not if that's not the mum, mm. is you know you as a primary caregiver, you definitely need your life to be with baby as easy and relaxed as it can be. Mm. So if baby dropping off to sleep on a feed is easy and relaxed for you when you're taking care of baby, that's fantastic, you know, or, you know, putting baby in a, in a possum pouch or, or mm. whatever. That's fantastic. Now, the other people who care for baby, so dad and, you know, gran or grandpa or, or auntie or whoever, whoever it is, mm. they need to also find ways that are relaxed and easy for them yes. to care for baby and get baby to sleep. And they need to jump in and do some of that flexible experimentation themselves. It doesn't have to be the same way you do it. Mm. It can be a different way. And um, and if you're not right there, if you're yeah. physically, you know, in a bit of a separate space so baby can't sort of look across and, oh, hang on, there's mum. Mm. Hey, mum, where's that feed? Then, then baby will actually learn to find a way. They will get in sync. They will find a way together. So it's about those other caregivers often persisting and experimenting and being flexible and finding a way that works for them and baby. And, you know, there's many ways to get a baby to sleep. There's rocking chairs, there's lullabies, there's walking back and forth, there's um, putting them in a pram and taking them for a walk. There's putting them in a pram just rocking them back and forth, um, you know, in the lounge room. There's, there's many ways. Mm. It's lying in bed with, with, with baby if it's during you know, if it's during the day, you can lie in bed with baby while baby yeah. has a nap and read a book. Or you can lie in bed with baby while baby falls asleep and then pop baby in, in into the cot or, or you know, mm. what, whatever. There's many ways. So everyone needs to sort of experiment flexibly and find the ways that works for them. Yeah. You can access the show notes at www.practicalresearchparenting.com forward slash COA5. So that's K-O-A-5. And in case you missed it last week, to find out more about the Possum Sleep Intervention, please tune into our next couple of podcasts and visit www.possumsonline.com. 
So understanding your child's sleep biology is so important. I've come to consider it the first step in any good sleep intervention. If you'd like to learn more about sleep biology and how it applies to child sleep, I've developed a free video and email series to help you learn more about it and apply it to understanding your child's sleep. To check that out, just go to www.practicalresearchparenting.com forward slash first step. So that's all one word. So this by no means replaces the one-on-one tailored approach of the possum sleep intervention, but it will give you an idea of how powerful an understanding of your child's sleep biology can be. So that link again is practicalresearchparenting.com forward slash first step. Please tune in next time to learn about a new perspective on sleep associations, the problem with tired cues, and how acceptance and commitment therapy is incorporated into the possum sleep intervention.